afternoon. My name is Natalie Madeira Cofield, entrepreneur and resident for Mayor Muriel Bowser Presents 202 Creates, an initiative of the DC Office of Cable, Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, led by director Angie M. Gates. 202 Creates is an entrepreneurship-focused initiative designed to aid, celebrate, support, promote, and educate district creatives and entrepreneurs. 202 Creates produces entrepreneurship programming, provides technical assistance, masterclasses and seminars, and produces biannually a cohort model business intensive residency program designed to aid creatives in scaling their endeavors. For more information, please visit www.202creates.com. Now, we'd like to kick off today's program by introducing our featured speaker, LaGreg Harrison, co-owner of Fashion Boutique, the museum. LeGreg O. Harrison, a native Washingtonian known as G. Mogul to most, is an American marketing executive most notably known for his professional contributions during his tenure at Apple Bottoms, Live Mechanics, Nouveau, the co-founder and chief executive officer of the board administration alongside Rock Nation, Maybach Music Group, Warner Music Group recording artist Wale Falarin and his latest business ventures, the museum, fashion art gallery and recording label, Under Armour brand consultant and legacy established. Please join me in welcoming Greg Harris to our conversation today. Hi, Greg. Hey, what's going on? How you doing? I'm doing good. LeGreg, or should I say G Mogul? <laughs> <laughs> LeGreg is fine. Or you can call me Mogul. It's, it's cool. Either uh, one. It sounds good. Yeah. So, LeGreg, 202 Creates is all about aiding creative in D.C. with understanding the business landscape behind their craft. You know, share with us a little bit more about your personal and professional journey and a few of the important business lessons that you learned along the way. Okay, perfect. Yeah, uh, so I'll start off by saying, uh, you know, I'm a native Washingtonian, uh, second or third generation Washingtonian to be exact. And my journey in business has been a very thorough one. You know, uh, it's been a, a really long journey uh, and it's just actually starting. You know, I feel like I'm starting uh, right now. Um, you know, I started out uh, at the collegiate level going to Virginia State University. Um, is one of the uh, most prominent HBCUs, I feel like, uh, for entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, when I went there, you know, I learned a valuable lesson in networking. You know, I truly learned that your net worth is your net worth, right? Um, you know, some of my colleagues in business now are some of the people who I attended Virginia State with, you know, all across the country. When I go and I, uh, you know, I do a lot of things in entertainment, um, when I throw events, you know, uh, even right now with the Museum DC, as soon as I put anything online, the first people to purchase are some of my peers from Virginia State University. Um, so I started out at VSU. I was a four-year letterman, played uh, varsity basketball, of course, men's basketball there, uh, where I uh, went on, uh, graduated from Virginia State, and I went to New York City to work for Apple Bottoms. Now, uh, this is quite a funny story because usually you intern with uh, corporate companies while you're in college. I graduated and then I interned. So I interned at Apple Bottoms by Nelly, which was owned by a licensing company called Isa Brands. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Douglas Development Corp. His brother, Lawrence Jamal, actually owns, owned that company. Mm -hmm. uh, and his nephew, Norman Jamal. 
So I worked for those guys out of New York City for their licensing company where they had another company underneath of the umbrella called Ump MBA, which was one of only maybe, I think it was the only black MBA licensed company. So just a little history. Do you guys remember the uh, denim jackets and the denim pants with the MBA logos all over them? Mm-hmm. That's Ump MBA. Right. Uh, so that was a, a company that was licensed under that umbrella. So I worked for that company, ISA Brands, for quite some time. I interned first. I worked in accounts receivable, you know, uh, so I worked in accounting. Uh, I did imports and exports. <laughs> so I, I worked in the mailing room. Right. And then I worked my way up into the marketing office where I became a marketing assistant and then a marketing manager for both brands, uh, Live Mechanics and Apple Bottoms. Uh, from there, that kind of took me to uh, another place, right? So eventually, I kind of got on the road with George Hughes, who was my mentor at the time. Uh, he has a company called Hughes Vision at the moment. He was solely responsible for the marketing behind Ice Tech watches, Parasuco denim. Uh, and when the Knicks were going through their glory years, he was doing the marketing for the New York Knicks. Uh, and so I learned from uh, a guy like him. He was my mentor for about four years when I first got into the, uh, the industry, the fashion marketing business and entertainment. That led me to come home. You know, I thought that uh, I've learned and I've exhausted a lot of relationships in New York at that point. So I, I was always an intention to go to New York, learn, and then come back and pour into the Washington DC community from what I've learned in that, in that industry in New York City. And so that's what I vowed to do. So when I came back home, I started a company uh, with my partner um, and family member, Muhammad Hill, along with uh, Walker Johnson, who was Trey from the, the legendary band, Go-Go Band, UCB. We started a company called the Board of Administration, which was a multifaceted marketing management company. Uh, it was a record label. We ended up partnering with the district's own Wale, right? Um, and we did some profound things. I mean, we were nominated for Grammys. You know, we represented the city really well. We were like the first company to go all out and place the DC flag really big on the back of our uh, hoodies and on the front of all of our apparel so that people understood. When we walked in the building, you know the District of Columbia was there and that we represented not only just politics, but lifestyle, music, and the arts, you know? Um, so we were essentially the spokesman for the city, you know, and we wanted to show people that we were a town of arts. And we've often gotten robbed of, of that from uh, transients that would come into the city and go to college here uh, at Howard and other colleges, universities, and they would, you know, see the style, you know, of the Washington, D.C. And, and get that hustle, that grit you know, and they will go other places and build careers, you know, off of what they've seen here. And so uh, from there, uh, we ended up moving to Atlanta uh, for about three years, right? Uh, Again, this was the typical move for us just to learn something, come back and bring it back. We felt like the music industry was at a standstill here. Mm -hmm. It was a, a huge generation gap. Mm-hmm. between the guys like uh, Chucky Thompson's and Rich Harris uh, and, you know, my generation, my age group, the millennials, right? And so what we did was we moved to Atlanta for three years with Wale to work on a couple of albums. 
that album, Ambition, uh, I think is maybe platinum or double platinum now. We had the record Bad, which went triple platinum uh, off of that project. Ambition, I think, is gold, the actual record. So we had a lot of success with that project. Upon coming back, we, we started to notice some things. We noticed that gentrification was really prevalent. We didn't quite understand it at the time why some of our neighborhoods weren't our neighborhoods anymore. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it just gave us an interesting perspective on, on the big machine and how things really work. And so we ended up walking past Georgia Avenue at the top of Georgia Avenue. And we saw that the universal madness wasn't there anymore. And it really tore us apart in the early 90s and late 90s. We had at least 20 D.C. design based brick and mortars who were all making well over a million dollars a year. Hmm. Fashion brands. I want everybody to understand that streetwear and athletic fashion started here in the district. Nowhere else is documented. Even the FUBU guys were maybe a year or two after the Universal Madness in 1980, in the 80s. And so we felt like we lost a bit of that culture or that nostalgia, you know, and we felt like we had enough influence that we can have a brick and mortar and bring that feeling back, you know. Uh, and so what we did was we came up with this brilliant idea to have a fashion and art gallery called the Museum DC, where uh, fashion can live, DC fashion and DC art as a whole, whether it's music, uh, visual art, you know, someone uh, can be a painter. We wanted this place to be a hub for history and culture, right? And so that's what we set out to do. If you understand museum, the root word for museum is muse. It's a source of inspiration. So we felt like we wanted to be the source of inspiration for the rest of the city, myself mm -hmm. and Ahmed. Yeah. And so we uh, started our business 2015. Uh, we did a strategic plan to where we knew we could blow the, uh, the line out right away. We were very popular. And of course, like we, we ran with Wale, but not only that, myself being from Ward 8, uh, Muhammad Hill is a, is a Northwest guy. Um, we were two of probably the most popular kids coming up in our generation. You know, we were uh, 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 basketball guys. Uh, our families uh, had a lot of lineage in this city, uh, and they put a lot of work in over the years in, in the city to build our reputation up. You know, so we're always the popular kids and had a lot of influence, right? And so we knew that we can blow the line out if we wanted to do that. So we didn't want to do that, right? Because I, I heard this from uh, actually an, an old man in New York City when I was working there. He told me, he said, never take the elevator. Because I would always ask him, this guy was like 60 and he would walk up 16 floors. And I'm like, why do you do that when you just, he's like, oh, you're a generation. You just don't know. You live in a microwave society. He was like, you don't know what hard work is. You don't know how to take different steps to get to somewhere. You want to get there faster than others. We, we vowed to make sure that we took the stairs versus the elevator, right? So, LeGreg, I, I want to, you've dropped so many gems here. Oh, sorry, sorry. I know I'm, I'm talking, but once I get going, I'm... No, you, you have a lot to share. Um, so, two things. I went to Howard, so, you okay. know, tread lightly. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, listen, listen. So, so, then, so then, you know, uh, Mr. Hill. Uh, I may, yeah. Ed Hill, yeah. Yeah, I mean he's in a he's in a basketball hall of fame, you know, right now, and that's Muhammad's dad. Okay, okay. He he, he was at Howard over thirty five years, never missed a day of work. 
Oh, wonderful. Okay. Not one. He was the sports information director and he held other positions over there as well. Okay. So we're so we're we're part of the Bison family. Okay. We're oh, part, but I'm yeah. scared there's some oh, no, oh, power. No, no, I was no. concerned for a second. <laughs> no, All right. No. So LeGreg, let me ask you, um, and this is kind of going to where you were going with the last point about the gentleman who said to you, never take the elevator, right? So you talked about starting your career working as an intern after you had graduated, right? And so many of us now are almost in a professional reset because our economy is in a reset. So talk to us a little bit about some of those humble moments that actually led to your greatest success, right? So I can right. imagine you probably graduated and maybe some of your other colleagues might have gotten a job. You were doing an internship, but all of this was on a trajectory of where you wanted to go. And I'd love if you could share with us around some gems around humility and how that helped you. Particularly for oh, people yeah. struggling with oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You you have to have humility in, in, in life in general. You know, don't have too much humility to the point where you're taken advantage of, right? Um, but you know, you wanna you wanna I, I learned this from uh watching Damon Dash, right? Now he talked about how you can't have light without dark. Mm-hmm. It's just not gonna happen, right? So you you watch these movies and you see the superhero and he's like this quote unquote loser uh, that nobody really appreciates, right? And then you have the villain who has everything. And then this, uh, this, this hero, he gets beat up the whole entire movie, right? And then in the end, he wins. He beats out dark. And that's sort of like how life is. Uh, so for me, I, I understood very early that you can't have light without dark. You know, uh, you can't produce a diamond without pressure, you know? And, and some of our, our greatest moments uh, we were able to just stay consistent. You know, I think that's the key. Being able to just stay consistent because a broken clock is right at least two times a day. Mm-hmm. So your time will always come back around, right? Um, and and honestly, the other thing is just being realistic with yourself, right? Because sometimes, you know, we're always taught uh, this positive notion that you're supposed to just shoot for, what is it, shoot for the moon and land on the stars? It's something of that magnitude, right? Um, not everybody is going to have success in everything. Mm-hmm. So you have to find out what works for you, right? So, I mean, I've always taken personality tests, you know, uh, and, and learned those things about myself. Uh, and, and, I, and I seek therapy. I go to therapy a lot, just so I can learn myself. Because if you know yourself, then you can better assess where you want to go, what you want to do in life. You know, it's, it's people nowadays, they'll say, oh, I want to have a T-shirt brand because they, we make it look that easy, but we're just walking in our purpose. You understand? So it, it isn't hard for you when you walk in your purpose. You call I, it fall in line. So I, it's funny because I always tell people your business takes on, it's a reflection of you, right? right the way right. you are in your personal life is the same way that you manifest yourself in work. So if you are scared to move forward, you're going to be scared to move forward around something with your business. So I love the idea of the importance that therapy plays. I've had many conversations about therapy, period. And we actually, through OCTFME, have Cares for Creative, which is coming out of the um, 
uh, creative affairs office, which is really okay. about helping creatives go through the therapy process during COVID. I mean, again, wow. right now is a very, very challenging time for many people yes, on many different fronts, right? And we both know that business must go on, life still must go on. So I encourage everybody to check out Cares for Creatives, which is coming out of OCTFME. But Greg, since you uh, just mentioned that, I thought I would make an important shout out to that program because it's important, it's valuable, and it's a free resource provided to our creatives here in DC. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. So, LeGreg, you know, one of the things that you talked a little bit about was the important role that fashion has played in making people more aware of the District of Columbia. Talk to us a little bit about how fashion is a brand ambassador, how fashion creates culture for a community, and the role that you all feel the museum plays in building brand and culture for the District of Columbia. Brand and culture is everything. I mean, think about it like this. Kanye West, who is right now arguably like the, he's at the pinnacle of the fashion industry, right? Uh, this black man that's from Chicago by way of Washington, DC, right? So he actually said that he learned his fashion lifestyle from the District of Columbia when he moved here. He said that uh, the polos that he wore, Hugo Boss, things of that nature, he got that from here and that's documented, right? Um, you know, so DC fashion has always been uh, in the mouths of others, has always been uh, the center of, a centerpiece in the fashion industry, whether people actually knew it or not, you know? Um, DC is a very unique place when it comes to that. We have our own clothing, our own food, our own music. We don't really take after other cultures uh, in other cities, you know? So when people kind of brings the city together, when people, uh, I hear all the time, I have friends that travel abroad. They might travel to Vegas or LA. And when they see someone else in the museum, they're like, okay, you must be from DC. Or when other people from other cities see people with the museum on or Universal Madness or, or eat, um, to be a, with a younger brand, they'll uh, kind of like, you know, say, hey, I think that person's from D.C. You identify our culture with what we have on. You know, back in the day, we wore slouch socks. You know, so I play AU basketball. We would wear those and go to New York City, and they would know immediately, okay, those are the guys from D.C., down the D.C. Baltimore area. And we know who they are. So they have on slouch socks, which were like aerobic socks back in the day, but I wouldn't put them on now, but back then that was the thing to do. I remember the parasucos and the slouch socks. <laughs> I remember all, all of that. I, I was jokingly saying to someone earlier, and you're absolutely right around kind of the definition of a location. And when I went to your, when your store, I said, man, I got to step my sneaker game up, right? Um, because I saw so many good sneaker heads there. And fashion is a big part of identifying a local economy, a local culture, a local brand. And one of the other things, LeGreg, that you've talked a little bit about over the course of your discussion is music. How do you feel that fashion culture and music all intertwine. We have right now a moment in the District of Columbia where uh, you know the mayor has signed legislation making Go-Go the official music of the District of Columbia. 
Um, we are working on DC uh, policy around GoGo and engagement. How do you feel that GoGo as a music is also a, dri a driving force behind the DC fashion? And what role do you think all of this plays in kind of cultural creation in DC? Well, I'll tell you, it plays a major role in cultural creation. You know, GoGo is our first language here. <laughs> you know, we didn't, uh, I know in my generation, hip hop wasn't our first sound, it was GoGo. You know, um, this is a go-go town. And so where you would see the hottest fashions would be in the go-go's. You would see it on the lead mics. Most of the go-go bands will wear DC design-based clothing brands, right? And they would mention those brands. So that was the perfect marketing and promotions for these brands because they would put them on all the go-go stars, right? Um, so it kind of worked hand in hand with GoGo being the driving force of the city in terms of uh, the arts and entertainment, it just, it kind of fell suit. It, it's like a, almost like a marriage. Even to this day, uh, you know, we outfit a lot of the GoGo stars. They've been seeing in our stuff from, uh, you know, Big G from Backyard Band, uh, all the guys over at T.O.B. When we're talking about how fashion and go-go and just music as a whole from this from this particular town uh, transcends genre, um, we got to mention somebody like Wale because he was at the helm of the music industry. He was considered at one time the most fashionable uh, and the biggest sneakerhead in the music business for the millennial generation. So that's just to show you how much influence DC fashion culture and music has influenced over the entire industry. You know, uh, nobody was wearing shrunken fitted uh, uh, Levi's with SB Dunks, phone posits. You know, we pretty much like what what the what the industry is now on the fashion side and music. I truly believe that it's a carbon copy of what Washington D.C. is doing and what we have been doing for a long, very long time. All of the small brick and mortars all of these different companies from Kiff in New York, you know, um, that particular store and brand reminds me of something out of our area, you know? Um, so I think that's how we can identify, you know, having our fashion brands, uh, music and everything work together to kind of transcend uh, to other areas and things of that nature. Love it. So, you know, LeGreg and kind of closing out some of our conversation today, now more than ever, we're seeing creatives become more involved in their communities um, and they're becoming artist activists. And so what are a few ways that you feel as a fashion design and brand owner um, that artists can leverage their voice to create change in their community? Right. Well, I've always felt like, um, you know, recording artists and visual artists uh, have so much social responsibility because of their influence, because people look at them, um, you know, they have the next generation's eye and the generation before. And so a way that I know the most artists, visual artists, uh, most painters are able to articulate or get out what they want to get out to the community is through murals. You know, that's one way. And I think the, the mayor did an excellent job with that mural uh, program you know, that she had implemented maybe a couple years ago, because in certain neighborhoods that's still going through that trauma, you know, uh, the, you know, the, the certain neighborhoods are still the have nots, you know, they, they also can still 
have that uh, inspiration, you know, from those artists. They can see it from a visual perspective on the side of a, uh, you know, a carryout or, or a side of a corner store, you know, um, where they can see a mural that maybe says something that just changes their day, you know, it changes their perspective. It's the same thing with a lot of the recording artists. Being able to go on the street, one artist is Kenny Sway. I don't know if you guys have heard of Kenny Sway, but Kenny Sway, uh, you know, will go down to 7th Street and Gallery Place, Chinatown, and he will plug up his uh, microphone and he would just sing for free for the masses, you know, um, and where you might have a bad day, you know, you're feeling down. When you hear the sweet sounds of Kenny Sway, you're just like, ah, I can go on. I can make it today. You know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And just to see people like recording artists like Fat Joe, uh, you know, several other people recognize Kenny Sway. And he became like a national phenomenon with of this guy from D.C. who is just singing, you know, on different corners. It's, it's very uh, fulfilling, you know, being a Washingtonian and being able to see how we as a collective uh, in fashion and in art in general and entertainment, you know, can maybe help out our community with just those small things. Now I know for the museum, we've done turkey drives in the past, uh, free haircuts for kids, uh, hats and scarves. We're doing an initiative right now with the Emerson Collective uh, and, um, you know, Red Brick Development, Trayon White, uh, Monica Ray and all of those good people over in Ward 8 where we are giving out 8,000 museum hats and scarves to the community of Ward 8 uh, with an initiative for them. Also, we're giving out 300 scarves and hats to some of the homeless men, one of the shelters. So that's a way that we give back and show the community that we appreciate them for supporting us because this is a community stop. We are the community. I love it. And so just in closing, Greg, what's next, right? So what's next for you? What's next for the museum? Um, you know, how can how can we support small businesses during this time? Right. So um, we would like to be in ownership of the property that we're in now. Or even if we were to move to another ward, we want to be in ownership. So I think there needs to be some things in place. Um, that can keep us here. You know, um, the community wants us here. I think we're good for the city. So we want to make it real. If you're not in ownership, you don't have anything. And so, uh, you know, we're very smart. We understand that, you know, and we, we want to be here in Washington, D.C. where we were born and raised. The other thing is we have a behavioral health clinic that we started throughout the pandemic called Above All Odds. Uh, we offer uh, telehealth. Right now, so everybody's been socially responsible uh, throughout uh, this pandemic. Um, so we did that because, you know, in the past we've had a lot of uh, a lot of trauma that we've dealt with coming up in this area, and we see it now. Uh, so we wanted to be able to offer those services and wraparound services for the community, um, and also do it the right way. Uh, we have a nonprofit called Future Moguls. Is for entrepreneurs. And so at the top of the year, you'll see that website, that website pop up with some applications for kids uh, where we will basically take them from A to Z uh, on developing their business. And we're going to actually pay for their business to be incorporated, their trademarks, their business, DC business license and everything from this nonprofit. So age range 12 to 18, uh, we want to be able to start these young kids off early 
in, in the form of ownership. So that's what's next for us. Absolutely love it. LeGreg, thank you so much for joining us today for today's conversation with 202 Creates as part of our featured masterclass series. Again, thank you, LeGreg, co-founder of the museum. If you didn't know about them before, please check them out. Uh, thank you for joining us for this session and you can learn more about 202 Creates or check out another masterclass with another DC featured entrepreneur at www.202creates.com.